Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. On today's podcast, we are going to be discussing false teachers in the local church. Welcome back. Hey, we are back. Yep. Talking about some fun stuff today. Yeah. Actually, this is not my favorite topic. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> well, it, you know, it was spurred by the um, the text that we are in at, at our men's group, which uh, is First Timothy uh, chapter 1. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Not that I'm not willing to talk about it. It's just not my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, but uh, but to be fair and to put all my cards on the table right at this moment, uh, it's not my favorite because, uh, to me, it's such a, it's such a, mess. The topic is messy, uh, and I think it's messy because um, the word "false teacher" and "heretic" is so easily thrown around that um, it becomes annoying to people like me in a sense where there's some distinction and there's some, I think categorical distinctions that get ignored in kind of the everyday lay discussion. Uh, that's so very true. Cause when believers hear the, the term false teacher, I, I think uh, we all maybe have a, uh, a definition in our mind. Yeah. Or a heretic or heretic. Yes. Yeah. So like I recently saw that a guy's a false teacher because of his politics. Mm. And I, I just in my head, it's kind of like, man, again, we're using a political spectrum to to determine a guy's gospel message. Right. And, you know, at that point, you could, I mean, honestly, you could accuse Jesus of being a false teacher if you want to use political spectrum. Right. Well, I mean, just um, using the political spectrum is not nuanced enough, right? It's just so, Yeah. Um, it would be unfair to understand what that guy's about just because he um you know had a r or d after his name right yeah so yeah well and even even then like the word nuance that you just used yeah i mean on twitter for a while there i I read other pastors which was whatever it is saying to people you shouldn't use the word nuance and it's like come on guys like heretics use the word nuance and it's like, are, are we kidding? Like, are, are mm. we, have we reached, have we reached a new low in our assessment of others to where now we're become the word police? Not only are we a thought police, mm. but we are now a word police. I sense a level of annoyance. Well, that's why, that's why, <laughs> that's why I don't like this topic yeah. because I'm, uh, I think at the get go, we are all predis predisposed to say, you're a good teacher if you if you inherently agree with what I say, and you're heretical if you disagree with what I say. Mm-hmm. And and I think the 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 modern I think there there is this us versus them mentality that is becoming more prevalent among Christians. And I saw it on Twitter. I see it on Facebook. Um, I hope to not see it in Cornerstone. And 
Um, I've, I've even, you know, if you're one of those people that I've kind of said, Hey, that's not a good mentality to have. It's because I love you. It's not because, uh, you know, it's because I love you. And I think it's just a dangerous mentality. And what cup gets coupled into this is this false teaching idea that if you're not with us, then you're a false teacher, you're a heretic. And that the, the problem with that is the same problem with using politics as a demarcation of false teaching is you, you have the wrong criteria. Mm-hmm. And so agreeing with me does not mean, does not make one a false teacher or, not, or a true teacher. Yeah, that's fair. And that's why we're doing this podcast because yes. I think we're trying to help our people just maybe fine tune some of the ways we think about false teachers or heretics or maybe how we should even approach the issue. Yes. Um, you know, what is it? Uh, how do I identify or just at least observe uh, rightfully uh, the way the world does it or, or the way maybe it's wrongfully done, especially in, in the context of social media and just media in general. Um, yeah. We're trying so to give criteria to, 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 okay, what does God call a false teacher? Like, Oh, I don't, I don't like that. You, that you're, you're, you don't like capitalism. False teacher. Oh, it's like, come on guys. Like, you know, uh, Again, the, what what the internet's allowed to happen is it's allowed underdeveloped mentalities to become published. When when we've always had kind of an editor who's been able to say, "Hey, I like you," but this this underdeveloped approach isn't worthy of being published. Mm. And that now that you have the internet, underdeveloped ideas can be published, and everyone can gravitate around them. So. A good, a good Twitter account is somebody that can say what you want to hear in 220 char- characters or less and draw your attention and, and like rally the troops and like, you know, oh, yay, my, my emotions are, and my, you know, like, yay, yeah, they, you, you put into words what I want to say. But again, that doesn't mean that, that it should be said. Like, you, it may still be an underdeveloped thought, even if it like strikes a chord with you and resonates an amen from you. Right, right, and that's dangerous too, because many times people have an undeveloped thought and they uh, a thought and they turn it into dogma. Yes, uh, and you shoot yourself in the foot because then at that point you have um, you know you just create a criteria that's not biblical. Yes, um, and now you're measuring others based on that criteria, which really, um, historically speaking, whole sleuths of of groups of Christians have done this and shot themselves in the foot. Uh, we have to always allow for self-correcting repentance, uh, the ability to change our conclusions based on um, the right information. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're not wrong. Underdeveloped thought. Um, even, even the realization that the more you study any issue, it doesn't matter what the issue is you quickly discover like when I did my MDiv, the MDiv is kind of a canned program. And, and I had two different professors tell me that when I was working on the THM, because you start to, you start to get into these subjects even more and you realize that the canned program was helpful, but it wasn't the end all. And then the problem is you've, you've guys leave the, the canned program and they think that's the end all. And they don't realize all you really did was was learn how to use some of the tools at your belt 
so that when you handle the saw, you have some proficiency with the saw. When you handle the hammer, you have some proficiency with the hammer. But the more you study, the more you realize, you know, there's actually 6,000 questions I wasn't even aware, and 3,000 of them were probably legitimately good questions. Mm. And so that this is why I love craftsmen so much, because when you talk to them, you can tell they don't just, you know, the shoe craftsman doesn't just look at his shoe and, and see the whole shoe, right? He realizes that shoe has a soul, and uh, <laughs> there it is. Uh, but, but he understands, right? And so he asks questions about what makes a shoe comfortable. Why does this shoe work? Why does this shoe able to hold up, um, in the rigors of hiking better than this shoe, right? So he's, he, he, he understands his product and he can, so for me, I'm just like, oh, that's a nice shoe. And he's like, well, there's a hundred components to this shoe. Which part is nice to you? Do you like the way it looks? Do you like the way it feels? Do you like the way it walks? You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. there's all these parts to it. And it's the same thing with this. Like, so in every subject, you, you have all these, these issues. And the question is, what makes somebody a false teacher? Um, which we would then say is heretical. And again, I think... You know, if I'm just thinking about this issue and you can't even say, I want to write on false teachers, I'd be like, well, I think you need to distinguish who is a heretic, what is a false teacher, what is a disqualified teacher, because I see those conflated all the time. Uh, how do you know a false teacher? Where where are we to look for false teachers at? Um, there, there's a lot of things that, that start to kind of compile in this. And then, of course, you still have these other questions that stem off from this. You know, if I was making a little mind map on a piece of paper, some of the questions that start to stem off from this are, um, well, I only have so much time, energy, and resources. So do I spend that time, energy, and resources reading false teachers and then pointing out every error? Or do I instead say, wait a minute, I need to be aware of some of the false teaching out there, and I need to be willing to speak out against it? Um or right, which is this last one's my more my my favorite approach. What if we just teach people the truth so much that false teaching is noticeable? Right. And and there's a reason for that. And so, you know, you talk to young guys who graduate seminary and they're on fire, but oftentimes they need to be they need to be locked up in a closet and told to be quiet for another three to five years because some of those guys go out and they're on a witch hunt for false teaching. And they are excellent at pointing out 75,000 bad teachers. The problem is you've listened to all of them. They actually haven't told you anything about Jesus Christ, about the gospel, about salvation. All they've told you is those 75,000 other people are wrong. And that's that. So I think I know we're going to get to there because we're going to talk a little bit about discernment ministries and why I'm not a fanboy. Yeah, um, it's such a d- difficult issue. I, 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 I see the heart behind why people want to do that. Yeah. Um, it's one of the strengths and weaknesses for having, uh, you know, basically Protestant churches are autonomous. We don't come in, we're not like the Catholic church where it's like everything falls under one head. Yeah. And because we're autonomous, there's literally hundreds and thousands of churches out there that call themselves Christian Yep. And the temptation is, um, well, they call themselves Christians. We call ourselves Christians. Uh, the temptation is wanting to correct all those who call themselves Christian that are not actually Christian. Uh, and so uh, I think uh, maybe 
if we step back a little bit, we have to realize that's not really um, because these are autonomous churches that have really the freedom to preach what they want to preach in this in a, in a country that that endorses free speech. Um, you really have to ask the question: What is my responsibility as a churchman? Uh, yeah. Is it is it to the worldwide, you know, worldwide, all those churches that call themselves Christian churches, or is it just our church? So that's another. That, that, it does make it complicated. I see. I do see, and that's why I bring it up because I, I see the temptation to just want to fight everybody for uh, the sake of you know helping them be yeah. be right or at least in the right path. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, well, and add to that. Oh, I read in the New Testament, like in Galatians, Paul speaks against false teachers. Well, yeah, he does speak against false teachers to a local church, right? Who he's addressing? Who knows the teachers? So it's one thing to run out and and like tell the whole world on Facebook or you know or to spend your time fighting Smiley Boy. It's another thing to ask the question: Do you actually know anybody influenced by that guy? And if you don't, why are you wasting your time? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're wasting your time. And we've had this a handful of times. You know, I've had other other graduates kind of say something like, "Oh, you know, so and so is really bad," and I'll just say, "I don't actually know anything about her." And they're like, "How do you not know anything about her?" I'm like, "How would I? Nobody in my church mentions her name. Nobody in the church is coming up to me asking to study her books. Mm. Nobody's interested in her at all. Like, I don't like like in what world would I just go run out and learn this person?" Because you guys are all talking about her online. She's not even in the realm of, she's not even close to our church and influence, you know? Uh, And when somebody, and even for me, there's a way to deal with that. And maybe we can talk about that. Um, How do I deal with people when they bring up um, a certain person to me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. All right. So I do want to, I do want to start off though, because um, what, First of all, what is a heretic? Mm. Um, by definition, if I'm not mistaken, it's a person um, believing in or practicing religious heresy. So um, <laughs> what that means is it is a person who um, believes, uh, on the one level, it is a person who believes wrongfully about God. Now, the second definition of heretic is a person who is at odds with what is generally accepted. Right. Okay. So two, two possible definitions of heretic. One, it's being wrong about who God is. Two, it's, it's being at odds with what is generally accepted. The first definition of being wrong, um, no, let's, let's go backwards. The second definition, the one who is at odds with what is generally accepted, that is a false teacher. Okay. Okay. But, if we use the first definition of heretic, um, a person believing in or practicing religious heresy, that is every human being believer on earth huh. and every unbeliever. Okay. Because there is not a one soul on this earth. Um, and again, you can, you can text me your favorite online pastor. That's fine. Um, the problem is that human being is a human being, not Jesus Christ made it, not Jesus Christ in the flesh. So because they're a human being made in the image of God, still still going through sanctification, awaiting glorification, right? There's still unbelief in all of our heart. And 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 that will be rooted out at, at glorification. So until that time, every human being is a heretic in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, believer and unbeliever. Because there's something wrong with each of us. 
And I remember even in chapel, Mac, J Mac said that like, Hey, everyone's a heretic. It's a question of where are we wrong? And are we willing to respond when we, when we realize we're wrong? Okay. So uh, that your, your definition is saying just to get any point wrong about God. Yes. It's okay. heretical. It's heretical. Okay. Yeah. Because Wait, it, it just historically speaking, it's just such a, that word just seems like a very serious word. Um, but it, you're, you're saying that just being wrong about God technically makes us a heretic. Yes. Yeah. Because there, God is true and his truth doesn't change. So if, if you're wrong about your understanding of what he has revealed about himself, that is heretical right. because you are outside the norms of, of what is accepted. And he is the voice of what is accepted. Mm-hmm. Not the Pope, not the 1689 London Baptist confession, not the Westminster confession, not uh, our doctrinal statement or anybody else's doctrinal statement. His statement is the statement. Right. And so in his statement, it, anytime there's unbelief, it is heresy mm-hmm. again. So now we're not going to, like, we don't really like to run around and we don't, uh, by the way, I'm not advocating that, that we run around and call everybody heretics. It, it's just, it helps to bring some gravitas to the situation and to the conversation of, okay, if we're all wrong, what's acceptable, right? What's acceptable, wrong? Right. And I think that's, that's the question that we have to ask yeah. about about um, scripture. Yeah, because because we really want to know what is the kind of wrong that will be damnable. Yes, right. Because right, um, like I'm sure there's something wrong in my understanding of God at this moment, and for probably for the rest of my life, I'll have something wrong about God. So I'll be a heretic in some area, but like, is it damnable heresy or is it uh, just you know? It may be heresy. Heretic's not even a good word. I don't know. It's is that even? I don't think. I think false teacher is the main word that's used in the scriptures. I yeah. don't think heretic. I think heretic's a church history word, probably more than anything. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, it's um. Well, no, you're you're right. It is a um. It is a um. Church history word. It's a church history word, but but I mean the concepts there, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Yeah. I think yeah. historically speaking, heretics were see or deemed to be damned, you know, damned and condemned, uh, like, right? Like they they were like, hey, you're going, your your ultimate destiny is hellfire if you're a heretic. Yes. So you you know you import that meaning to today, and you say you call someone a heretic, then it's like, oh, okay, what do you mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I I do generally recognize that we are talking about. Um, like when we use the word heretic, we're not throwing it around in, in the way that I just defined it. Sure. Yeah. 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 I, because, um, and, and, and that's people, a distinction, by the that's way. That's a distinction. Yeah. Yes. But, but again, nuance is important. Um, you know, and, and to the one that rejects nuance, you, you got to push yourself better than that. You can't, you can't be a black and white. I mean, the fact that, that God uses the, the verb love with different subjects and direct objects in scripture means that there is a robust theology of love. Yes. And so just a black and white, pick your favorite verse and, and like champion that in a black and white stance, you actually at that point become a heretical false teacher. Mm. And, and I, uh, we're going to explain that here in a second. Um, because there you can, you can teach the truth and be a false teacher in my opinion. Like you can, you can have, you can be rooted in the truth and still be a false teacher. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's so you're saying there's multiple components to what a true teacher is. I think so. Yeah. And if it, you're missing a couple of those or one of those, then it's possible that you might be a false teacher. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. So, and by the way, this is where our, I don't know what you want to call them, tiers, um, essentials, right? Um, levels come into play. Right. The, um, um, yeah. What is it called? I forget what Muller's three tiers is called. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think this is important. Um, so, uh, but, but before we start that again, I wanted to, I want to make another distinction. So on the one hand, we're all wrong, right? So if, if being wrong means you're a false teacher, then no human being can teach. Right. Okay. So, um, we're talking about, when we talk about heretic, we're talking about those who go against basically what, what, what we have deemed as, as right and accurate for like first, or you talk about first tier doctrines or just yeah, generally yeah, yeah, speaking yeah. right now. Well, so yeah, just generally, okay, gotcha. but, but we're going to even zero that in on the first tier issues. Gotcha. Um, but I want to make one more distinction. There is a difference between being a false teacher and a disqualified teacher. Okay. And that's, I think this, um, honestly about 80% of Facebook posts I see where people are called heretics or false teachers. I honestly think like you're, you're talking about a disqualified mm. for in my circle. Okay. Not, I, I think probably in the world. Yes. Like when I start to contemplate some of the, the, um, the seeker sensitive guys out there, like I don't really pay attention to those. So those are not like in my peripheral. Gotcha. Like, so I know if somebody has a lot of friends that have those guys, they're in those kind of ministries. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of friends that are in those kind of ministries. Mm-hmm. So I don't see a lot of stuff that represents that whole world of quote unquote Christendom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in, in our circle, and, and I think it's fair to criticize our circles because we're in our circles. Yep. And the goal is not to like, Oh, I got you. I want up you mic drop you. The goal is like, okay, let us do better in our circles at, at ministry. We want to be better, faithful ministers of the gospel. And that's the approach that we have here. Not, not, Oh, I want to get you. And Oh, look, I jabbed you. I want up to you. I won. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not about that. It's about leading people to be better disciple makers. So there's a difference between being a false teacher and a disqualified teacher because a disqualified teacher can still speak the truth and not be qualified to do that role. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Okay. Yeah. Well, specifically disqualified for the role of, of pastor you're talking about. Yeah. Or even about? teacher. Okay. Teacher. Yeah. Teacher or pastor. Cause okay. we're going to talk later that teaching is leading. Yes. So if you know, again, you may be, you know, you may have, you, you may, you may be the one that should write the commentary on the Bible. But if you are not qualified biblically, then you should be quiet and sit down and not say anything. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So if you look at Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, that list there of elders, I would argue that that is a list of what it takes to be a qualified teacher. And so when you read that list, character becomes a really big deal, not pugnacious, you know, a one-woman man, um, right? Not not hungry for money, like well-ordered, you know. And every descriptor there in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, none of them are um, 
are exclusive only to pastors and elders and teachers. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you came to me and said, well, I'm not above reproach, but I'm not an elder. Well, no, you should be above reproach. Right. Like, every Christian should be a one a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunk, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Um, all of us should manage our own household well with dignity and keeping our children uh, submissive. Uh, not a re- you know, so all that should describe all of us. And so, and then you go over to like Titus three or Titus two. Um, I think Titus two fits with Titus one because Titus one, Paul kind of gives the same list, but older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self control, sound in faith and love and steadfast. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teachings show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may put them to shame. Um, so, Again, you have, right, this this character that fit, is befitting of an elder is actually the character of an older man and an older woman, and these are the things that you're teaching people. So sound in faith, yes, sound, but, but also realize sound in love, sound in steadfastness, sound in self-controlled, sound in dignified. Like these are important qualities. These are important characteristics of a believer. And so when we talk about... A, a pastor or a teacher, you can completely be, you can completely know what the word of God says and not live that out. Mm-hmm. So you can be a disqualified teacher. So, you know, when insert some famous pastor gets caught in an adultery scam and has to step out of the ministry, like our hearts should grieve that situation, by the way, like that, like the fact that, I, that, that I see people respond by throwing theology darts at the men that fall is really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't show our love and it doesn't show our gospel mindedness nor our compassion. Um, and so when that happens, you don't just then go throw out all of his sermons. It doesn't mean what he said was wrong. It just means he's not qualified to be saying it because he can't live it out. Right. Okay. And that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So again, one can be a disqualified teacher. I saw this, you know, I saw, um, you know, a guy online, you know, talking about why we can insult people. And then John Piper stood up and said, Hey, look, I, I understand where you're coming from, but the biggest difference between me and Jesus is this. I sin. Jesus doesn't. So in my own heart and propensity, um, I'm going to stay away from insulting others because I know I can't handle that in a righteous way the way Christ could as, as God in the flesh and judge of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, so the, but the responses were, oh, Piper's, you know, he's a heretic. Well, wow. um, no, Piper's not a heretic. Like, you may, you may have disqualified him in your mind if you think he can't handle the word of God, Right. I would actually argue the other guy that was making the argument of why we can insult people is not a qualified teacher. Mm. So even, even this week, which we don't like to talk about, 
one of the famous discernment guys um, who I who I tuned out about 10 to 12 years ago because I didn't find him helpful, you know, finally got booted by his elders. And it's like, yeah, because he's disqualified. It doesn't mean he's false. It means he's disqualified. Mm-hmm. And the, I think there's a huge difference there. So we need to be careful. Like yeah. just because a guy um, shouldn't be teaching doesn't make him a heretic. It it may mean he's disqualified from doing that job. The disqualified guy in my mind is someone, you know, who who fell. You know, he he was ensnared. It was it might have been you know something, it might be a gross sin or just something that was habitual. But he eventually fell. Um, had you know he had good doctrine, but character fell short. Fell short. Yeah. But there's also the guy. It seems like I mean, based on some of these texts that um, um that we're reading, especially First Timothy, um, like he's, okay, now th- maybe this is where it crosses over from, you know, d- disqualified to false teacher. Is there, is there a line that you cross where you, where your character becomes false teacher, not just disqualified? Well, no. Well, maybe. But it's not just fell. Like, like the, the one thing, like that's the most common form of disqualified teachers we see. Gotcha. Is that he was in the position and something happened and he fell. You also have disqualified elders because they were made elders too early. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So they were never qualified, basically. Yes. So they're disqualified because they've never been qualified. Right. Verse six He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Mm -hmm. Well, I've actually seen this where young guys get laid hands on and it goes to their head. And in their mind, well, I've been teaching. And they're horrendous leaders. They can't work with other people. They're puffed up. They're they're super prideful. They're wrong, but they're but they're but because they've had some level of authority and position of power, it's really gone to their head. And like it's at that point, it's like um, it's like injecting somebody with a virus, and then realizing that virus made the body sick. And then how do you get rid of that virus? Quarantine, I don't know. <laughs> kill the virus. So you can't kill a right. virus. All you can all the do all you can do is make the virus go dormant. Mm. Right? So you can't like you know what I mean? Like the the best way to to not get a virus, to not get sick from a virus is don't get the virus. And and in a way, when we don't go through the proper laying on of hands process with individuals, which is why which is why that elder role you, you should be scared if a guy comes into a church and within six, eight, or even I would say a year is an elder. Like something's not right with that. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you rushed that. And, and though you, though it does work out, I, I'm not denying that it, like, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not an all or nothing guy. I'm not saying if you're like, Oh, I know a situation like we got to get Bobby out of there. Cause he was there eight months before he's an elder. Like, look, I'm not saying it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. However, when it doesn't, it's devastating to the church. Right. It's like destructive to the church. So all that to say, you know, qualified teachers need to be this um, because it actually is that it can be when they're disqualified, it's actually detrimental to two different people. It's detrimental to the individual that you put in that position because you are aiding and puffing that person up. 
And it's also detrimental to the church because now the church is dealing with somebody in leadership who shouldn't be in leadership. And honestly, getting those people out is very difficult. And usually there's some kind of split. Mm. Yeah. And he's making disciples of himself. Yes. Which is not the kind of disciples you want at, at a church. Yeah. So yeah, he, he duplicating a false teacher or a disqualified teacher is not a good thing. Right. Cause he, cause there's some, there's something wrong with his character. There's some kind of pride. There's some, there, there's there's a major there's a huge blind spot usually with that individual that is going to be swept under the rug or the individual now has some power now has some power and authority granted to him that he uses in an un in an unbiblical in a worldly way that 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 seeks that is devastating to the church so anyway all the say big difference between false teacher and and disqualified and we need to distinguish that mm-hmm. again you can be you can be wrong and right at the same time. You can say what's right and not be the kind of person that should be saying it from behind the pulpit or in the lectern or wherever you're teaching from. Huh. Um, and for the distinction that this is specifically for the church, right? You're, you're not talking about any other lectern or... Um, well, I, I mean, I've often said that that I think there should be a difference like... Like conferences to me are not the church. Right. Okay. So when I see conferences land blasted by other Christians because they put somebody up on stage that is disqualified, it's like, you know, at a conference to me, that's, that's different. If I go to a conference and the elders of that church walk up and say, you need to do this and submit to us, I'm kind of probably going to look at them and say, Hey, this is your establishment and I will respect you and your rules. But what you just asked me to do goes against what we, what, what my elders have asked me to submit to, you know what I mean? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So to me, a conference is not a church. And I think that's a whole other topic. I, I'm on, I'm on the, the page of conferences and churches are not conference is not a church. So different. Yeah. So that, that's helpful because then you're not exact, you're not judging it by the same criteria as a, an elder or teacher at a church. Yes. Now are there, are some of them opening the Bible and teaching? Yes. But um, is there, in my opinion, like, cause this is, the, I mean, this is the elephant in this discussion, G is, um, well, but some conferences, there are women speakers. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, one, it's not a church. And then two, what kind of conference is it? Right. You know, and, and is there a place to listen to a woman speaker at a conference? Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you can't answer yes, you've, you have not thought about the different kinds of conferences that exist. You know, now what we're used to is the, is the big flashy conferences where, you know, like shepherds conference, that is a conference that ministers to ministers. But Mm -hmm. if, if shepherds conference next year said, Hey, we're going to have a panel discussion um, on women abuse. And we have brought in four women to speak about their experiences of the different kinds of abuse they entailed. Like, would I judge shepherd's conference for that? No, because they're, they're stating why those women are speaking, what the purpose and the role and the function is, you know, and it's a conference. It would be different if they were like, Hey, Sunday morning, Karen Jobs, who wrote an excellent commentary on first Peter, Karen Jobs is going to be preaching for us on Sunday. That's a different thing. And scripture recognizes that difference, right? One is a church setting. One is a conference. And I, there, there's no conference in scripture. 
But at the same token, when we send people to conferences, we are not saying, hey, your membership is cut from here. Now you're you're under those elders' care. You do whatever those elders tell you. Mm-hmm. No, you are a representative of our church at that conference for a specific reason. So in my mind, I can think of reasons of why you might attend a conference where where there's a woman speaker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in my mind, that doesn't mean it's it's different. It's not she doesn't have authority over you. Right. She's presenting information. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Went to a conference with the Gettys, and hey, guess who spoke? Oh, yeah, Kristen Getty spoke. Yeah, yeah. yeah amazing. <laughs> I wonder what. Yeah, yes, exactly. It was stuff her conference. Like, <laughs> yes, stuff like that. Right? Yeah. Where? Yes, like, yeah. Anyway, so I think again, overly black and white guy goes, but but it's behind a pulpit. Mm-hmm. Yep, I get that. There's a pulpit up there, but the presence of a pulpit doesn't make preaching. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, and. The, to me, that church context is a really big deal. Like, what is this gathering? Is this the gathering of church of the church, the local church, or is it the gathering of, you know, are we hosting a conference where anybody can attend? Yeah. By the way, this 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 distinction is not in the minds of many Christians, and they need to have this distinction. I think so. This, this is like one of the last kind of distinctions that are out there that people don't realize they need to have. There's a difference between the local church that has its own authority than some gathering of random believers that they call a church, which is not a church necessarily. No, it's the church universal. But but even then, and this is my always my question, okay, wow, but it's the church universal. Okay, who's the elders of the church universal? Hmm. The fact that you don't the fact that there's no answer for that immediately is is a is a discount of that idea in yeah. my mind. Right. Because in order to have a church, you have to have a called believers in a local setting with local leaders working together to make disciples. And that's why the church universal, though I recognize there are other churches, there are other believers. That's why I don't sit there and go, well, you know, that's why I don't feel like we got to be unified with other churches. Right. Because how, how do you pick that? Right. Like, oh, okay, well, now we need universal elders. Well, that's, well, you know, I mean, you see it. Let's elect a universal elder. Well, that only creates problems. That's what. That's why some of these <laughs> denominations are having the issues they're having, because it's hard to it's hard to to you know to be unified at a grand level on details when some of those details matter to some parts of the regions and not to other parts of the region. Anyway, yeah, okay. Somebody somebody probably won't be happy with my answer there, but uh, and by the way, I'm speaking hypothetically. I don't think I've actually ever been to a conference where a woman teaches, but. I'm just saying in my head, right? Like you went to a conference on like abuse and you know, um, who's the girl, Rachel Dolan. I don't remember her name, but she was big in helping bring down the, uh, MSU Olympic scandal. And apparently she's a believer. I don't really know anything about her, but again, if she came in and spoke at that conference and you went there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye. I'd be like, okay, cool. Hopefully you learned something from her. Right. Whether you agreed or disagreed with her in the end, or, or maybe you agreed with a lot of what she said and disagreed with some of what she said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, to, to, to investigate that issue, it might have been beneficial to listen to her. Yep. Yep. Okay. And she's not, a, yeah. So anyway, all that to say, I, I can see a reason why that would, why that'd be okay. Um, and it's not the church. So disqualified, but that also does, does bring up another thing. Women, women pastors, uh, in my mind, are disqualified, but doesn't necessarily make them heretical. 
to my mind, they're disqualified. Oh, that's interesting. They may say, they may speak the truth about the gospel, right? And I I think there's three distinctions that need to be made of a a qualified, of a non-heretical qualified teacher. Mm -hmm. So she's disqualified in my mind because she is, she is um, acting as a pastor to the local congregation um, and because leading it, because teaching is leading, she is exercising some level of oversight and instruction in a place where, where first Timothy says that is not her role. Mm-hmm. So she's acting outside of what God has said it takes for the qualifications of being in the pulpit. Yeah. Okay. So she's, but that may not, but again, Oh, she's heretical. Well, she may not be heretical. She may be completely in line with scripture. She might have better doctrine than you do. She, she, <laughs> ironic. I mean, sometimes. Maybe except on the women yeah. teaching. Well, I mean, there, there are some times where I do think, right, again, we fail if we think women can't have as good a doctrine as men. We, we are out to lunch if we believe that. Right. Um, and and even, even this whole discussion always brings up things that, like, um, yes, women women can't should not be teaching from the pulpit. But if you say a woman can't teach at all in the church, right? Like, uh, what are you going to do? Come up to me and be like, "Hey, Julie pulled me aside and uh, confronted me for my sin, and then she started to teach me what the Bible said." So I had to walk away because she's a woman teacher. Like sometimes the one another's requires, "Hey, are you aware the Bible says this?" Mm-hmm. And you're at that point, you're teaching them. It may be, it's admonishing, but it's teaching him, right? Mm-hmm. So if your wife comes to you and says, honey, uh, I think you're not being gentle enough with the kids, uh, perhaps could you try a gentle approach? Look at what the Bible says. If you came to me and was like, well, I didn't listen to her because a woman teaching me, I'd be like, bro. Uh, so we can't call our wives heretics when we... Uh, when right. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You heretic, you're yeah. teaching a man. Like, yeah. no, like yeah. she <clears throat> is practicing the one another's there. Right. So... Is she qualified to do that? Yes. Might she understand better than you what it looks like to be gentle and patient in instructing your kids? She might, and it might be good to listen to her. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. th- this is why there's always more to every issue mm-hmm. than, than what I call simple black and white guy. Simple yeah. black and white guy makes things way too easy and it sounds good. And by the way, that's the, that's the easiest way to navigate life because you don't have to think about anything. It either is or isn't. The problem is, you, you you end up having no wisdom in the way you minister to people. Ah, and yes. you peg people, and you're going to end up being unloving because when they don't fit nice and neat into your little camps, then then the responses are not going to be biblical ministry either. Yeah, we're, we're in the critical thinking camp, right? Yeah, yeah we are. <laughs> yeah, which, again, like, like one of the elder's yeah. wives, we were talking to women's, she said to me, she said that the the thinking, the critical thinking and loving people approach is more difficult than just having rules and asking people to follow them. Mm-hmm. And she's not wrong. Absolutely. But it's also a better result. Like mm-hmm. it's it's actual ministry. It's God glorifying. It's it's restful. It's peaceful. It's more joyful to put in the labor than it is to to make sixty thousand rules that nobody can keep to begin with. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that's how we become Pharisees which are also not qualified to be pastors. So, all right. That was a really long expose on false teachers and disqualified. So what is a false teacher? Yeah. 
I'm glad you asked. And we decided there's two kinds of false teachers. Yes. There's one, which is the commonly thought of false teachers, and they're false because of their doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So describe that one. So uh, it, that's a big category. I would probably file under that, um, you know, gospel, um, who Jesus is, the Trinity, uh, probably the two big, biggest things. So if you have the wrong gospel, you have the wrong Trinity, um, then your doctrine's off. Would you agree? Yes. Am I missing one? Nope. Like uh, well, kind of. Okay. Okay, so Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Mm-hmm. So not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So, right, if if you're salvific message is anything other than faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone, then your gospel is off. Right. Okay. So, and that, that we have in Galatians one, six, right. That, that if, right. If you teach you're saved by your works, that's heretical. That's why I said you're a false teacher. If you teach that you're, you're saved or sanctified by your political perspective no your sanctification is not is based on your belief in jesus christ just like your salvation is based on your belief in jesus christ um yeah i guess the third one well i don't know if you're going to answer the third one but i I know you mentioned kind of um you know a false teacher also leads people to the wrong um goals uh, I believe. I don't know how you say it. Well, but, um, yeah, but that was the second kind of one that oh, that gotcha. we wanted to camp out on. Okay. Um, so the first, the second one is in First um, John. Um, four. Well, it's it's in a couple places in First John. Um, but right, because I think he mentions it in four. But but John says a couple times that whoever um, denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Is a is a antichrist. Yes. Yeah. First John fourth. Every spirit that does, that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. And before that, Christ. It's a, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Yeah. So he he kind of spends a little bit of time talking about Christ in First John. Yeah. And that's kind of I think a summary point to him. So. What we've also said, and what I think is a fair distinction, is if if somebody does not recognize the Trinity, then that is a false teacher. Mm-hmm. And and what has to be recognized in the Trinity is, I think, the three persons that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet recognize that the Lord our God is one. And so uh, modalism, Patrick, fails because... Um, there, God manifests himself sometimes as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons fail because Jesus is not is not fully God, mm-hmm. right? He's a God, but he's not the God. Right. And so there, there's their failure on those parts. Um, you know, if you think of Jesus as not taking on the flesh, that he's just some some corporal being that that that's there, kind of like an angel. Angel, um, well, that's that's a that's heretical. Like he's in the flesh; he's fully man, fully God. Right. And so, which is why we emphasize these points. Like true teachers recognize the Trinity. 
Um, and then the last one is in second Peter. Um, and I think this one's uh, a very important distinction too. Uh, verse two, one, um, second Peter two, one, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destructions. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them, uh, the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now the way of truth will be blasphemed, meaning the way of truth will be rejected. Mm-hmm. So I think what the, what the third one I use is false teachers. Um, their sanctification doesn't lead you to Christ. It leads you away from the gospel. Oh, okay. So yeah. in other words, like when you have somebody teaching, um, you know, um, Hey, marriage, marriage is just, you know, let, let's use, let's use obvious extreme examples here. Um, homosexuality is okay. Well, no, it's not okay. It's, it's sin. It's sin by scripture. Mm-hmm. So that's a false teacher because he's advocating something that scripture says is not okay. Mm. You know, Oh, you, you, you have four girlfriends and a wife. That's okay, brother. Like you're, you're made to be a sexual being. No, that's actually, that's false teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Oh, Hey, um, uh, God, God will bless you. If you give us more money, um, that shows your faith and you can prosper. Well, that's false teaching. What, what are you filing this under? Well, that one's a little bit under both sanctification and false gospel. None okay, of this okay. is ever false sanctification. Okay. Yeah. None of this is ever easy by the way. Right. right. Okay. So, so those are, I think are the three mm. big hooks. If, if you have all three or one of those three off, I think you're a false teacher. Mm-hmm. Now, let's caveat that because it's important. Does it mean that we can't disagree on some points of the Trinity? Like there's a huge discussion in my mind. Uh, well, not my mind. There's a huge discussion among some scholars. And by the way, this is why I don't think scholars are meant to drive the church. This is why they need to sit and they're here to help the church. But the fact that they're using this issue to drive, trying to drive the church, in my mind, presents them almost as false teachers because the the direction they're trying to lead the church is into speculation. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but right. So was the, was the son eternally generated or has he been, um, uh, or, and, or is the son eternally subordinate to the father? Mm-hmm. So these are huge minor debates in the Trinity, Right. But at the end of the day, I would say, in general, from what I've read, because these are two different debates, by the way. On the one hand, you have the Bruce Ware debating some other guys on eternal subordination. Uh, Matthew Barrett, uh, Ayers, Ayers, Fred Sanders. Uh, classic Trinitarianism says the son is not eternally subordinate, whereas whereas some of the modern guys are saying, oh, no, he's eternally subordinate. However... I think both people have the Trinity right. Mm -hmm. And I think they can disagree on this and still be in orthodoxy. Now I still, I still lean more with the classics than I do with Bruce Ware, but I'm not ready to call Bruce Ware a heretic. Mm -hmm. He's not committing Arianism where the son is, is secondary to the father. He's, he denies Arianism. He's saying, no, I'm not saying that the son is lesser than the father. I'm not, he's not saying he's lesser God. Like, 
He has provided in my mind all the caveats that prevent me from saying he holds a heretical view. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I may disagree with his take, but that's okay. Like I may sit across the table from a brother who agrees with him and that's fine. Like, like we both love the same Lord. Um, you can disagree on, right. We can have a Wesleyan here who is a little bit more Keswickian in his sanctification and believes that we actually can be perfect this side of heaven. Um, I can sit across the table from that guy and we can still both be Christians. Right. You know, I'm more Calvinistic in my thinking. I can sit across the table from an Arminian who, who thinks that it's man's responsibility to save himself and we can be Christian friends and disagree on this issue. So what we want to be careful is that, that we don't say, Hey, every, if you didn't reach the same conclusions I reached on every little jot and tittle under these three headings, then you're a heretic. No, that's not like we need to be generous and and gracious to people and realize that, that these are not always easy. And on the one hand, they can be easy. On the other hand, when you start to get into them, there's a lot of difficult passages to traverse. Like it's just, it becomes a, it becomes, it can become messy. Yeah. And so let's be gracious to people. So to disagree on that doesn't make one a false teacher or or not a false teacher. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Okay. So obviously one of us, one camp's going to be right. We don't know this side of heaven probably. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's such a difficult, um, difficult to navigate for some people because I think what they do is they make it a gospel issue. Um, yeah, they, they they somehow connect it to, uh, you know, they somehow end up concluding that it's some kind of gospel issue. I think uh, maybe that I, I could be wrong. I well, could be wrong with. I, no, I think you're right. There, there is this like. Look, we want to have sound doctrine, and we want to be right in our understanding of God. But but some people, in their conclusions, put everything into the sound doctrine camp. What is the what is the fallacy called? Where it's like, um, uh, you know, oh yes, there's like sixty thousand. I know that fa- the fallacy where like you take this road and you're going to end up here. Oh, the slippery slope. Slippery, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, as true as that can be, like ninety percent of the time, it's not. It's a. It's still a fallacy. Yeah. The and the problem with that mentality. Okay, if we're off in this, then we're probably going to be off in this. Right. Sometimes that's true. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it's not. Correct. Okay. A believer believes in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is operating within the believer. Yep. An unbeliever can believe the Bible and is not a worshiper of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit's not operating in his soul. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, in a lot of these, like, Oh, in a lot of the, what I call the fear tactics, which, which is very popular in discernment ministries, right? Oh, if we don't warn them about this, then, then people will go astray. You don't look at those people over there. You don't want to be like those people, right? The, the whole, like, you don't want to be like them over there. Um, we're going to call them unfaithful. Well, you don't want to be called unfaithful. Um, that to me, a lot of that is devoid of a, of a biblical understanding of the Holy spirit. Like the more I understand the Holy spirit, the less I'm worried about those things because the spirit is amazing at keeping his children, his children. The guy hasn't lost one yet. True. Every one of his children have been glorified or will be glorified. Like I'm not saying be frivolous with doctrine, but to run around and the Fear of of departing is not the number one motivator of what we do. 
Right. The number one, the, what we are called to do is to put Christ before people and teach people about him. That's number one. What, what Christ tells us is some are going to depart. The world's going to get crazy and people are going to leave. People are going to abandon the faith. And when that happens, it hurts. It stinks. But it wasn't because we said something wrong somewhere else. It was simply because he or she does not have the Holy Spirit as a pledge of the inheritance to the end times. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's really good. I, it kind of brings us full circle because what really started this whole discussion was First Timothy. Um, and I think the, uh, the, the part that we were emphasizing with the guys uh, was verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Yeah. So, right, versus the other the the other goal, which was, you know, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith, which kind of what you're talking about with the scholars they're kind of leading people to that road of myths and genealogies when yeah. really the goal is not to uh, not to uh, use fear to motivate people, but to teach people love. Yes. Um, and that's really, really helpful because if that's your goal, then you're really aligned with what First Timothy is really, what Paul's trying to teach Timothy here. Hey, don't don't go astray. Yeah. Stay, stay on the path because if you're teaching Christ, Christ should lead you to love. Yeah. Yeah, and so... What also helped is I don't know about I don't you listen to the Brad Arnold sermon right yes yeah so um, in the process of this you know we go to Arkansas and it's kind of like oh yeah Brad was teaching through First Timothy and so we both went back and listened to that sermon and Brad had a really good point right that that for a lot of us false teachers are easy to discern because of the strange doctrine mm-hmm. okay um. What but but Brad said something else that that really helped for me kind of let the chips fall where I think they needed to fall because I've always like it's always been this tension of like man why do I struggle with though I think the theology's right on the one hand I'm struggling with this guy um, for something else and and it was what Brad said that helped. And he's like, some people are false teachers because of how they lead you. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's exactly in line with what you just read in First Timothy 4, which promotes endless speculations. And then he picks this up down in verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wavered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things by which they are making confident assertions. And that, that was the part that was like, oh, yes, the light bulb. It was like, okay, now the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed for me. Like, So Brad, though he's he's with Christ right now and he wouldn't want to come back, still <laughs> serving us with, with his word that was recorded. Oh, that's a phenomenal sermon. Yes, and yeah. super helpful because there, there Brad just makes the comment like, hey, if your teaching is leading people into speculation, and this was helpful because um, – one of the things I noticed on Twitter was some of these guys and I'm like, you guys are professors. You're not pastors. You're professors. And you're literally, I feel like you're trying to drive the ship of the church and that's not their role. Their role is to serve the church, not, not to be 
not to, that the Christ is the head of the church. Elders are tasked with being with leading servant leading disciple making. Scholars are not elders. You can be a disqualified teacher and a scholar. Mm-hmm. The, the the guy that wrote our Greek our intro to Greek books got like four or five divorces behind him. No evidence of being a believer, but his his little Greek intro book was helpful for learning Greek. Right. So, you know, even for scholars, like somebody's like, well, that historian, he's he's a Christian historian, but he's not qualified. Yeah, okay, he may not be qualified. He's a scholar. Yeah. He's not an elder. He's a scholar. Right. Um, which is why I'm okay using Karen Job's commentary on first peter she's not an elder she's a scholar mm-hmm. so and and by the way every pastor starting with rick holland on down has said you'd be crazy not to look at that care job's commentary on first peter so right like um and she, again not she's not local church no authority over us, just giving us the x's and o's of what peter's saying with historical research and grammatical historical good good hermeneutics um which again we're, we're foolish if we think women can't have good hermeneutics or as good a hermeneutics as men. Like mm-hmm. we, we, at that point we are denying the Holy spirit and, and we, we are sinning in our view of womanhood at that point. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, right? Like that, that these false teachers lead us into places that are not that we're, we're, where the Bible's not leading us. And that's that verse you just read. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Mm-hmm. So I would even argue that 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 sound teachers are trying to help us understand why there's rest in Christ, why we are pure because of Christ, and helping us right understand that that rest in Christ means there's a sincere relationship. But the more I understand the gospel, the more I want to actually love and serve people. Mm-hmm. And that that's so again, your teaching can be right on everything. But but if where your teaching is going is, well, what about circumcision in the Bible? Well, why did God choose that over something else? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's really interesting to me. Well, okay, but that's, you realize you've just opened the door into speculation. And though we can say the Bible says that men were to be circumcised under, you know, starting with Abraham on, on down, though we can say that, we don't, some of the answers to your questions are not in the Bible. You know, Brad makes a really good observation. Most of these false teachers, and I, I actually see this today, and you know, just through experience, it's 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 like ninety nine percent of them. It's it's a view from the Old Testament. It's a wrong view, or oh, a wrong, yeah. yeah, some kind of weird speculation uh, from the Old Testament that they misunderstand, misinterpret, and teach wrongly on. Huh. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean everything from you know, legalistic tendencies to the law, teaching things about the law that they don't understand. Um, it, it, there's something about like false teachers that where they gravitate towards that. And it, I, I get why, because you can make a logical case from the Old Testament because if you misunderstand how the Old Testament works and how you're supposed to read it, you can come up with weird conclusions. Yes. So, yeah. That's a good a, observation. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like a red flag for me. Like when someone says, but in the Old Testament, it's like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 99.9% tells me you're going to make some kind of false teaching claim here. Well, and again, it, it is easier to just have a set of rules and do's and don'ts. Right. And in the Old Testament, you can find that. You can find these do's and don'ts. Um, 
Well, and that's that's Jesus' point. You miss the whole point of law, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. So, you know, a false teacher might say, hey, the reason why you don't want to do this is because you might shame your community or shame your God. Well, yeah, I don't want to sin, but but the biblical teaching behind that is actually the reason why you don't want to do that is because it's going to prevent you from loving your neighbor mm-hmm. the way God instructs you to love your neighbor. And so it goes back to that person analogy, right? That, that I can't remember what author said it, but um, the reason I don't take your purse is because I'm afraid of being ashamed by the community that that is not love. Right. The reason I don't take your purse or the reason I actually grab your purse and return it to you is out of a love for you and your livelihood and your, your possessions. Like there's your fight. You have financial resources in your purse that I don't want you to lose. I want you to have out of a love for you. I want you to have all of those back. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, and there's, that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. One is shame. The second is for your benefit. Yep. And I think the false teacher, right? Again, the first one's false teaching because, Oh, the reason why you do that is because you might, you know, you might look bad. Yeah. Well, that, you might look bad for actually loving people. <laughs> so, oh, you returned the purse, you idiot. She had $500 in that wallet. You could have had $500. You're an idiot. You know what I mean? Like there's somebody yeah. out there that would have been that, that that's going to belittle you because you, you loved that person. Yeah. Um, and so, right. Are you motivated by love? And I think, I think biblical teaching needs to motivate us to love people. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, the heart, um, the heart of Christ and the heart of the gospel it really is love. And even when we teach the gospel, right, it's not that it's not just a simple transaction. You're actually learning about the love of God, rest, like as you, as you mentioned earlier, like there's rest in Him, there's satisfaction in Him. Yep. Um, there's true true love that you've never felt before in the cross. Um, uh, there's yeah, there's 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 like it answers our deepest needs yep. um, more than any other. Any anything else that that's, that that the world can offer? Um, yeah, I think even in Ephesians, right, the first half is Paul's doctrine. The second half is this. Now, because of the doctrine, go do this. You know, I Paul, prisoner Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, right. So there, Paul's concerned that the output of our of our actions be in line with what we know about to be true about God. Um, you know, chapter five, verse two, walk in love, walk in wisdom, five, 15 ish. I could be off a little bit there. Um, walk in wisdom, right? Um, walk, walk not in darkness, but walk in light. And so all of those are, are accurate responses to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, and again, the false teacher might look at those and make rules. That's not what Paul's trying to do. Those are all principles. And so, you know, are we, does the person lead you to, to, to be thankful to God, to praise God, and also to see other people as valuable who, who need you to love them because that's our ministry. Yeah. 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 As God has loved us, we should love others and teach others to do the same. Yes. Learn of, learn of the love of God in Christ Jesus through the cross. Um, and then, give that same kind of love to people. Yes. Uh, that's exactly what Christ is teaching. 
Yes. Um, and so false teachers, they don't emphasize on that. They actually emphasize uh, a vain speculation. Funny thing is, it's not, there's the same condemnation in the Old Testament as well, uh, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. For example, Jeremiah 23, this is what the Lord Almighty says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. You know, they speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Again, the aim of the Lord is a completely different trajectory than the false prophets. False prophets have different goals than God. God wants us to understand his character. His character uh, includes, you know, Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's wrathful, but he's love. And he wants us to love like he loves. Yeah. I was just thinking about that too, like the subtleties of some of that. And I think that's where I noticed um, in some of the seeker sensitive, uh, again, I don't really look at that, but I was looking at it because that was, I had somebody had sent me this interesting like sermon series on movies. (laughs) And, you know, it's like um, you look. You start looking through these, like how to how to attack, how to have less anxiety. And on the one hand, you're like, "Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I don't want to have anxiety." On the other hand, it's, you slowly realize these sermons are actually about you. Mm-hmm. They're actually a very me-centered gospel. They're not. They're not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing about. You know, it's like how to, how to, how to have true romance Three three ways to bed, like three ways that God can empower your romance with your spouse, you know, and there's some couple out there, you know, where one of them's going, Oh, I want better sex, you know, or, or both of them, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, so again, you sit there and you look at that and you're like, okay, these, these are like, wow, I can, I can listen to these. You know, it's like Walmart shopping, right? Like I can go to Walmart, you go hit your aisle, I'll go hit my aisle. Man, we're gonna get we're gonna get something that serves us, right? It's it's very consumeristic even in the titles and in the aim of some of these sermons. And it it's subtle, but you go, Man, that again, like is the false teacher leading you like like is the teacher leading you to sit at the Lord's feet, to be thankful for him, and then turn around and go and serve. Mm-hmm. Hey Lord, I love you. Um, I'm not doing this to my neighbors so I feel better about myself. My neighbors are valuable people who need Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite them over for dinner, you know? So yeah, maybe I need to learn Spanish. It's actually not a bad idea. Hmm. I'm thinking about that, about having somebody come over and teach the boys Spanish and then me sit in their lessons. There you go. Uh, you know, be, it would serve all of us really well. <laughs> um, but all that to say, so, um, you know, this issue is not easy in that way. Um, what we also need to realize is this is why people need to lay hands on you in ministry. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me. It's like, um, you're not, you're not a valid teacher because, um, you can open the Bible and teach. You, that doesn't make you qualified. Um, I can listen to you and maybe discern you're not a false teacher, but that doesn't make you qualified. And that's why the laying on of hands is so important. Important. Yeah. Who laid hands on you? And in Cornerstone, somebody asked me this. They were like, well, you guys have an ordination process, and if the ordination process is every week and that the elders are habitually laying hands on each other, saying, hey, today we still think you're qualified to do what you're doing. So 
The one thing I didn't like in the ordination processes that I've seen and been involved with is it's kind of like, hey, nobody can now tell you you're not qualified. Like, this is our affirmation that you're, and it's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, you laid hands on somebody, you, you should be able to take those hands off of somebody as well. Um, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way, but you're right. I think you're, you're, it's a continuous affirmation of, of a person's qualification. Yes. Um, that, that's really helpful um, because you should be able to pull back if you need to at any any given point. Um, and it, it does prevent someone to just, uh, I mean, if you have a team of elders, it's harder to do that. Yeah. But if you're, if, if you have a, a leadership structure where you're the guy on top, it's like, okay, now who's going to check you in? Yep. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah. And even, even in the elder structure, there's, there's there, you can still have that too. So yeah. Authoritarian. Well, and hopefully you have elders that, that realize, Hey, we're laying hands on you. Uh, and it's a habitual ongoing process. Like the fact that you're standing up this Sunday means we still think you're qualified to be teaching behind the pulpit on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, if, if they're going to address one of the elders, because you think that guy's in sin, you still want to see like, how does he respond? Because, mm-hmm. you know, biblically qualified guys, I think will respond rightfully, even when wrongfully attacked. Yeah. Um, now sometimes our first response isn't our best response. Um, but, but in general, right. Because sometimes that first response is knee jerk, like, like I'm feeling attacked, but, but when, you know, so, which is why it's always helpful to let the dust settle a bit sometimes Mm -hmm. when you address somebody. Um, but, but when the dust is settled, where do things, you know what I mean? Like, how does he respond a little bit? Like when the emotions aren't so high, you know, so all that to say that, um, that's my, that's kind of my issue with discernment ministries is they attack guys. But there's a, there's a part in which, um, you know, uh, they attack a guy and because he speaks at a conference and you know, you're like, well, this, this guy has a team of elders. Why aren't you attacking his elders? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there they are in their discernment ministry talking about the need for churches, like to have a plurality of elders. And then they attack the individual for doing something under the guidance of his elders. And it's like, well, he, he's accountable to his elders. Mm-hmm. You know, then you hear the guy talk and he's like, I had no idea that they were going to have Benny Hinn at the conference. I just went where my elders told me to go. And they, they said, Hey, there's people there that have never heard the true gospel. Go share the gospel with them. So I did. Hmm. And you're like, okay, again, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we need a that, 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 that is, um, that is a question I do have. That I'm glad you brought brought up the term ministry, ministries. I mean, how how do we? I mean, as we are discipling people at our church, like how do we want people to think about discernment ministries? Do they uh, number? Because sometimes, I mean, do, they get stuff right, but sometimes, they also get yeah. stuff wrong. Yeah. Uh, and when it's wrong, it's not really helpful. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's probably because sometimes they're not thinking critically about the situation or or the facts or. Or the, yeah, yeah, just generally speaking. I don't, I honestly think you probably don't need to listen to them. Honestly, to me, they're a waste of time. They're one, they stir, most of them, the popular ones are emotional stirs. They Mm -hmm. stir the emotions. Um, You know, I remember like, you know, there was Jay Seculo come on after Mac in Oklahoma and he would like, oh, if you don't send money now, this is like blah, blah, blah. And I I was like, I should have wrote some of those down. Mm Mm-hmm. Because 25 years later, none of those things that 
you know, that, that he was really worried about have come true, Mm. you know? So it's like the fear, like there's something about being afraid, um, fear sells anger sells. Yeah. And that's what the media has taught us fear and anger sell. And the same thing for discernment ministries. Um, I think the place for, for that kind of ministry of, of learning why something's wrong. To me, the place for that is when you're actually doing something with an individual and you feel like you need to understand that individual's teaching a little better. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, what does the Mormon church teach? Well, at that point, it's probably fair to listen to somebody who studied it and talk about it. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is this. You you can this is why I'm not a huge fan of it because at the end of the day, it doesn't mean the person you're talking to believes anything that they just told you. Right? So you go you go on YouTube and you pull up your your guy and and he, you know, has his little chalkboard and his nice little not chalkboard. He's got his little board there and his nice little camera set up and it kind of looks like, you know, whatever. And and he really talks about how faithful pastors and Mormons. And so let's say, right. He talks about Mormonism and he, Oh, they believe this and they believe that and they believe this and they believe that. And Oh, look at what they've done here and look at what they've done there. Then you go to work and you're like, Hey Bob, so this is what you believe. And Bob's like, I have no idea any of what you just said. Like, so when you're working with Bob, the Mormon at work, you've still got to learn what does Bob, the Mormon at work believe. And you need to engage what Bob, the Mormon at work believes, mm-hmm. which is why I don't think discernment ministry is always helpful, mm-hmm. you know, um, because you potentially take the ghost, right? The discernment ministries presents, presents the doctrine as a, as a, let's say as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, then when you're talking to somebody, you project what the discernment ministry said they believe onto the individual rather than learning what the individual believes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a projection basically. It's not a fair, accurate, not, not necessarily a fair and accurate representation all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even like, you know, before we'd go to Croatia, like some of the people would be like, Oh, I read like five books on what Catholics believe. And I would always tell them like through the process, like stop, Stop, stop doing that. Stop. This is ridiculous. Oh, but they're Catholics. They, they don't even know what the Catholic church teaches. Just get over there and be friends with them and share the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it was crazy, right? Because they would, some of them be like, you know what? You're right. They, they don't know anything about Catholicism. Yes, they don't. They, they're like, you went and did all that work. I'm glad you did whatever. But at the end of the day, right? People have discernment because they have convictions. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather your convictions be rooted in what you believe to be true rather than what you believe is not true. Because you can, you can recognize that that cup is not the gospel, but that doesn't mean you actually know the gospel. You just know that cup isn't the gospel. That's kind of like political campaigns. Yes. It's like, don't vote, don't vote for this guy because he's this, 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 this. Yes. Uh, okay, that's okay. Now, but who do I vote for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you look down at that list and you're like, all 10 of these guys are scumbags based on each other. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. So exactly. Like, and then that's that. Like, when I, when I was a te- bank teller, I handled so much cash that I did not have to look at the cash to know whether or not I was holding cash in my hand. I could file through the paper, the, the dollar bills, and I could, I could pull out the false bill without looking. 
Why? Because once you know the truth, you, you recognize the error. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, so to me, that's where discernment ministries fell. They spend all this time pointing out all the errors. And again, what's the truth? Mm-hmm. You, I think rather than your 30-minute YouTube video, go read the Gospels for 30 minutes and memorize what you read and then meditate on what you read. That'll be way more profitable to you because, again, you can't study every error. Mm-hmm. There's too many of them. Yep. It's like, and and every day there's probably 50,000 new, I mean, really, if if the earth has 365 billion people, there are 365 billion false gospels. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is basically major, really don't, don't, don't major on the, the, the false major on the truth. Yes. Like know, know your Trinity really well, know God, yes. know the gospel really well, know church history. I think uh, that's often neglected too. Yep. Um, and be a student and learner um, in the context of your community with walk with your church as you're learning together. Yeah. Uh, that's so much more helpful, I think. Yeah. And be generous in realizing that the spirit doesn't bring us all to the same convictions at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's a huge one, right? Because you are sitting next to somebody, somebody in church has a heretical view of the gospel, but they don't, they're not trying to advocate it. They just don't know what they don't know mm-hmm. or, you know, or the spirit hasn't shown that to me yet. So be generous, be kind, you know, um, yes, be on watch in the local church, watch for guys that, that are trying to take their in the speculation and become teachers and, and trying to be leaders and want to go on and, and do full to, they think they should be doing full-time ministry. No, no, you, you, you don't even like, like the gospel means nothing to you. Right. So yes, we want to keep, there is a keep a watch on, right. And that's acts 20, when Paul issues the warning to the Ephesian church, you know, be on guard for the wolves will rise among you. We are watching like there, there is always that sense, but to me, the local church is where our eyes are, not, not the universal church. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, we are on guard against false teachers, but I think the online community has, I think the online community forgets that the online community isn't their church. And when, when, when that line gets blurred and you think social media is your community, now you're going to start to look for, for false teachers and false doctrines throughout your community. The problem is that's actually not your community. It's just a platform and you move on. Mm. So anyway, yeah. that's my thought on that. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm thinking about like there's people out there, people out there of family members you know maybe trapped or uh, seduced uh, by some of these false teachers um, I, I think one thing I have to remind myself is that um, that's true but the other reality is that people find the teachers that they actually like and agree with yeah so there isn't there is the aspect that yes they're seduced but there's a reason why they're seduced it's because they're looking for that sometimes. And they're actually not looking for the true gospel. And so um, I think for those people, you just have to, again, minister to them, make disciples, you know, get to know them, love them. And um, I mean, you still have to talk to them as human beings and be yeah. generous and kind and loving and, and be able to still speak truth to them at some point. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm just thinking about those those people that are like, okay, because I, I could see that, I mean, I think I've been there once where it's like, man, 
like it seems like a bunch of my family seduced by this thinking or by these this kind of teaching you know mm-hmm. um and it's like you want to bash bash their their leaders or their their um the people that they follow thinking that you're helping them when actuality you just make them uh it's almost like they they dig deeper you know yep uh, I don't know why that, I, there, I, there must be psychology behind that, but well, there, there is though. Yes. Uh, and this is, this is the part that, that I think, you know, in our tactics of dealing with people who are led by false teachers, um, I get the concern. I share the concern. I really do. Uh, what I remember is that that person wants to believe what they're following. Mm-hmm. So my family member, my loved one, my coworker, wants to believe this. Um, the only thing I can do is speak the truth in love and try to show them that I love them, that I value them, and and try to address that truth. Hey, who do you say Jesus Christ is? And th- this is where I think we show a lot of um, unwise, uh, dis- we show some ignorance and um immaturity sometimes in the way we deal with our family members who are following a false teacher. Mm -hmm. And and here it is. If I come to an individual and I insult your spouse to you, how are you going to respond? Yeah, you're going to defend him. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Cause that's because you identified with that person and they're part of your, who you are as a person. Yep. So yeah, you're going to do everything to, you're going to do everything to fight back. Because you just insulted not the person, not only the person, but me. Yeah, yeah. Now let's say let's say you go through um, a trial or a hardship, or for six months you have really been in your mind helped by the same person. So you know this person has become dear to you because during this six, this six month period, the person's helped you. The person's loved you from your standpoint, from your perspective, has communicated to you, has made you feel better about yourself, has maybe helped you in your mind, understand your situation better. Again, not saying rightfully just better in your mind, maybe even told you things that you've, you've always kind of believed and now they've helped you articulate them. And I come to you and I insult that person. What are you going to do? Yeah, you just insulted the person that has been there for me and helped yes. me. Yes, yeah. yeah. Even if you don't know yeah. him, right? Yeah. So the this is my issue. Like, I get that you see Smiley Boy as a false teacher. He is. But by insulting him, you've not, you, you actually just raised the barrier Like you didn't help that person. That person wasn't like, Oh, you insulted this person. You must be right. Right. That person is like, why they're, they're going to be defensive. They're, they're, they're defensive. The shields are going to come up. Why are you attacking this person? I love, you know, why, why are you like, this person has made me laugh and, and helped me and made me smile and made me happy. And like, like, and here you are attacking that person. So, you can go that route totally mm-hmm. or why not just, Oh, so that person's taught you some stuff about Christ. Yeah. What have you learned about Christ? Um, I don't really know. Oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a better approach. Well, have you read John? Uh, no, I've never read John. Well, why don't, 
why don't you read John? Like you, you don't have to just wait to listen to this person. You could, yeah. you could open and read John for yourself too. You know, let's read John together. Oh, what do you think about that? Oh, I didn't realize this about Jesus, right? The, the thing about that is if the spirit is working in you, the spirit is going to move you away from the false teachers. Mm-hmm. And if the spirit's not working in you, you're going to be at the false teacher as long as it's beneficial for you. Yeah. So in my mind, it's like, yes, I can attack. And at some point, right, I hope the person says, hey, the things you're saying to me are different from what Smiley Boy is saying to me. Why is that? And then I'm going to ask the question, hey, I'm just trying to tell you what Scripture's saying. Mm-hmm. So does Scripture have the authority or not? Yes, it does. Okay, well, is it possible that that the person that you've loved is wrong? You know what I mean? Like you just ask a general question. Yeah. And, and right, you just minister to him. Because again, we 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 are not tasked with um we can't change people. All we can do is minister and serve them and watch the spirit do what he does. By the way, this is what you're talking about. Like that is an act of love, and it's harder yes. to do that. Yes. Because you have to be patient. You have to um you have to listen very intently and intentionally. Yep. Right, and and you have to control yourself from bashing the bashing what you know is wrong, and you know that doctrine leads people to hell, but you're 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 practicing self you're practicing self control because you understand that all that's all that's going to do is cause more defensiveness in the other person, and take away the ability for them to listen to you and trust you. And, and really, in reality, what, you're, what we're really doing is becoming a better friend, um, a better counselor than whatever they listen to. So if you can grow in your counseling, yep. you can be the person that they lend their ear to over the internet personality or the guy on TV. Um, and that's what really a disciple maker is. And it is much more difficult to be a disciple maker. But that's yeah. what we're trying to... That's what we're trying to help people be. Um, so hopefully we did that today. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Again, and you know, look, we, um, I, I do think even with false teachers, you you would pray that they get saved. Oh yeah, Paul was a false teacher. Mm-hmm. He was not a, so. Um, the, the, I do think there's got to be a part of us, you know. Yes. I want to protect the church from that false teacher. But there's still that part of me, the false teachers that I know personally, that that I want those guys to get saved. I mean, you know, you just, you want them to know that there's forgiveness in Christ, there's hope, there's regeneration, there's restoration, and there there can be a seat at the table if they're willing to entrust their soul to Christ and confess their sin and ask forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I, I would love for them to do that. Yeah. And I'm actually fearful for anybody that says they don't want that to happen. Like the Lord does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. So why would we, you know what I mean? And that, that kind of stuff actually makes us, it puts us closer to the, to the false teacher camp than it does to the true teacher camp. So that's actually you? very true. Cause I mean, I think it, even people that have the right conclusions, um, the way they think about their enemies it's scary. Yes. I'm just like, what did you just say about him? What did you want to happen to him? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think that's the, 
I mean, yes, God, God's going to be the perfect judge when that day comes. Yep. But he's also very patient. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm really scared of the guys that are that bash our presidents online. Yeah. Who who are pastors who 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 want these guys condemned. Um that doesn't necessarily make them a false teacher, it just it makes them acting like one in the moment. Yeah. And I get it. It's frustrating. Yeah. I think it's fair to 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 seek justice at the same time also seek their seek their reconciliation with God. Yes. And we want both. Well, and yeah. God's judge. Yeah, so he's going to be judge. He's going to be perfect judge when when that when the day comes. Yep. Everybody at Smiley Boys Church who helps prop him up also has to give an account. Yeah. And again, I want all of those people to come out of that and come to know the truth, and be forgiven. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. I, you know, yeah. Not even for in Oklahoma, it was this like, oh, could you imagine how many people he'd lead to Christ if he got saved? No, actually, he wouldn't lead anybody to Christ. He's there because those people don't want to believe in Christ. Yeah. Um, and I want people to come to Christ because they love Christ, not because they're infatuated with the guy who led them to Christ. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference there. Very big. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Did we did we beat a dead horse? Possibly. Tried to hit all the questions in my head. Hopefully, um, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to learn and grow as the Spirit leads us and. Uh, I just thought that this would be uh, helpful for our people to think through. And if, again, as we always say, if you're listening to us, you also have your elders. Listen to them. They love you. They want to shepherd your souls. And uh, we're called to shepherd our people's souls. So that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm.